Well, good morning. Welcome each one of you here in person or those of you online. I just want to say thank you for taking the time to be together. And uh, beyond that, though, I'm grateful that uh, I get to be a part of a congregation that's not about just coming on Sunday mornings, but it's about living out your walk with Christ each and every day outside of these doors. And so continue to do that because that's what makes a difference. It's not about just the meeting together, but it's about the living out our faith and our walk with Christ. And each one of you plays a role. You are part of the team. It's a team sport to do, to be a part of the church. And so may you continue to do that day in and day out. I do want to say uh, thank you to our uh, audio-visual people as well, you know, praise team and our audio-visual live stream. We've been kind of struggling with a, a pulpit mic that's going to work that we can hear in-house, online, and we're still adjusting and tweaking those things. But I'm grateful for those individuals that volunteer a ton of time and talents that don't, they, they're not... You know, they're not paid to do that. They don't go to college for it. They just volunteer their time and efforts, and so I appreciate them and all they do. Will you join me as we give God a round of applause for their efforts this morning? We don't say that enough, and I, there's just so many people that do so many things behind the scenes that we're grateful for, those that are in the nursery right now helping out doing things with our kids downstairs. So just always ministry that's taking place, people that are willing to be involved. And it makes a difference. Uh, this past Wednesday, um, my son Brady, we're excited for him. He turned 12 last Wednesday, March 8th, and he decided that that day would be a great day to have a double birthday, uh, to not only have his physical birth, but birthday, but to have a, a spiritual birthday. And so uh, I appreciate individuals in this congregation and other congregations that have poured into him, helped disciple him to get where he is, and uh, he made that decision this last Wednesday, so I want to show that video with for you this morning. <laughs> I'm, I'm praising God. God is working in and through you. I uh, appreciate uh, your efforts, uh, whether it be in Brady's life or somebody else's life, that you are pouring yourself into for Jesus to advance his kingdom. And, and that's what it's about. And so, again, I'm grateful that you are here this morning, but it goes so much beyond just this time together. It's being the church outside of these walls during this week. And so my prayer is as we do come together that we are here to encourage one another, to build one another up, to strengthen one another, to spur one another on to love and good deeds, to be accountable to one another, to come alongside one another, to lean on one another. And that is the hope, but it doesn't happen just only on Sunday mornings that it would take place throughout the week. And so as we continue this morning, we are going through a series in the life of David, and we're going to be looking at this morning a well-known account from David's life. 
And it comes from 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. Chapters 11 and chapter 12. So if you want to turn over there, you can kind of follow along. And I've really enjoyed the study through the life of David because David is all about realness, right? His life is is up and down. There's victories, but then there's also struggles, and then here comes a failure, and and so all the things that take place in David's life, I can kind of relate to. I don't know if you can relate to David's life, but I think for the most part, we can really kind of understand what's going on in David's life, and so for every Goliath that takes place in David's life, it always seems like there's a Bathsheba right around the corner. And at this point in David's life, as you read 2 Samuel chapter 11 leading up to that, things are, things are going pretty well. David is, is solidifying Jerusalem as the capital. He's getting the worship of God back at the center of who the Israelites are as a people. And he's brought Mephibosheth to the table. And so things are just kind of clicking. Things are going well for David. And then he got comfortable. He got comfortable. And one of the most dangerous positions that we can be in as Christians is, is in the position of being comfortable. When things are going well, we think we have it all together, and we get comfortable. And when that happens, we can get ourselves into trouble just like David did on his rooftop. So the title of the message today is Run from Your Rooftop. Will you pray with me? Father, we once again are humbled to come before your throne. We acknowledge who you are in our lives. You are the God of creation. You are the God that offers us hope for eternity, that we don't have to live this life in shame because of the sin that we've stumbled into, Father, that we've We know that because of your son Jesus, we have eternal life because of his sacrifice if we're willing to give everything over to you. And so, God, we're grateful for the time we can spend this morning together. What a joyous time it is to be with family. May it be a blessing for each one here. May you strengthen, challenge, encourage us that your word would speak boldly into our hearts and to our minds. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. And so we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, but also uh, Psalm chapter 51. So there's a lot of verses to kind of work through this morning. So I'm going to be summarizing a lot of what's taking place in these verses. I'd encourage you to follow along uh, as we go through this, but I'd also challenge you to, as you're going home to take a nap or whatever you might do this afternoon, to take some time to read through chapters 11 and 12 on your own from 2 Samuel today. And so 2 Samuel 11, 1 begins with, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David stayed home. David stayed home, and you think, now, David, wasn't he a king? Yeah, well, okay, well, if he's a king, where is he supposed to be? Well, he's supposed to be off to war. He's supposed to be with his troops in the middle of the battle, but where is he at? It says at the end of those verses there in chapter 11, verse 1, it says that he stayed home. He's, he's in Jerusalem. And for me, that's a red flag, okay? That, that is not supposed to be what he's doing. And so David isn't where he's supposed to be. And as the story continues, the account continues in chapter 11, he decides that he's going to go outside. And, and one evening, he's going to walk around on the roof of the palace, And if he's one of my kids, I'd be like, get off the roof, right? Okay? And I'm sure God was saying the same thing to David. Get off the roof. 
You know, it, obviously, it wasn't probably the best place for him to be. And if you think about this, this is some place that he, he shouldn't have gone. He, he goes out and sees a very beautiful woman bathing. And he says, hmm, I think I'd like to see her a little closer. And as you read this morning, uh, I, in my mind, I just can't imagine that this is the very first time that David ever went on top of his roof. That this was the very first time that he just randomly showed up there and that, oh man, he, he sees something he shouldn't. Uh, my guess, and I, I could be wrong, it doesn't say, but my guess is that David, you know, ha- had, he knew what he could see from up there. He, he knew what he was getting himself into, and I think just like many of us, he knew exactly what he could be getting himself into when he went up on that roof. Just like we, at times, know what we are getting ourselves into. And so he got caught up in this sin. And if you look through these verses, there's this idea of being caught and convicted, but then also cleaned. Caught, convicted, but then also cleaned. And so how did David get caught in sin? If you boil it down, it's really very simple. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And how many of you have gotten caught in sin because you are in the wrong place at the wrong time? For David, he, he was supposed to be out with, with his troops, out in the battle. He, and instead, he stayed home. When he knew that he, he could get into trouble on the roof, he, he still went up there. And can I just say, run from your rooftop. If you don't get anything else out of today's message, please get the title, Run From Your Rooftop, because it's so easy to get tangled up in sin when we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, 15, verse 33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And sometimes it's the environment that you are in and the people that you surround yourself with that impacts the sin in your life. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says it this way. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. We, we can't put ourselves into tempting situations and expect to, to be able to stand firm. So we have to be very careful of where we're at. And so David is in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he sees a beautiful woman bathing. And he asks, well, how... how Hey, does anyone know who this woman is? And Oh, yeah, that, that's Bathsheba, you know. Uriah's wife, okay? Uriah's wife, one of your mighty men that, that's out fighting the battle for you. That's his wife. That's his wife. It says, then David sends messengers to get her. And I know you're not probably supposed to stand up to the king because your head could fall off pretty quickly if you stand up and say, hey, king, you know, I, I don't really agree with what you're doing, but wouldn't it have made a huge difference in David's life if someone did? If someone in this moment took the time to say, hey, king, king David, may you live forever. But this isn't right. This is not right. This isn't okay. And in this moment, we can see that a lack of accountability can lead to sin in our lives. And so who do you have in your life that you are accountable to? 
We all need someone that can call us out. That can call us out when, when we're, we aren't doing or acting or saying or thinking the way that God wants us to. And so do you have someone that holds you accountable? Because if you are here this morning and you don't, you might find yourself like David in the wrong place at the wrong time with no one around to speak truth into your life. And so David sends for Bathsheba, and he sleeps with her. And we don't know exactly the, the context of what's taking place. It doesn't say in these verses. We don't know if she's going along with this or if she's resisting uh, with everything in her being. But what we do know is that this takes place. It happened. And it resulted in Bathsheba becoming pregnant. And word comes to David that Bathsheba is pregnant. And what does David do? He tries to cover it up. Now, I'm glad that none of us here this morning have ever tried to cover up sin in our lives, right? That, that we've never done that. And I'm grateful that none of us have. But here is David, and he comes up with this plan to cover up his tracks by bringing Uriah back from the battle. David thinks that if I can bring him back and send him home, that'll kind of cover my tracks. And so he brings Uriah, says, you know, how, how are you doing? How's Commander Joab doing? Uh, how are the troops doing? How's the battle going? And then he, as he's having this small talk kind of conversation, he, he says, hey, go down to your house and wash your feet. And, and, you know, go spend time with your wife before you go back to war. And so David thinks that he has things handled, but the next morning he finds Uriah on his front porch. There's Uriah sleeping, and, and I'm sure David must have just been frustrated this big plan that he had to cover up his tracks. It's not working. He said, why didn't you go home? Why didn't you go home? And Uriah, Uriah responds by saying, the ark and Israel and Judah are all staying in tents. I couldn't possibly go home and be with my wife when all my fellow soldiers are still out on the battlefield. Well, David, he's like, I'm not giving up. He, he continues to try and cover his tracks, and so he gets Uriah drunk, thinking that if he can get him drunk, he'll, he'll send him home. He's not, you know, cognitive of what's taking place. He'll go home, sleep with his wife. But once again, Uriah doesn't, it says. Have you ever been involved in a sin that as you're trying to cover up, you just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into that sin. And that's what David is, that's what's happening in David's life here. He thinks, well, if that's not going to work, then I got to figure something else out. So he just keeps going deeper and he comes up with this plan that he's going to send a letter with Uriah to Joab. And it's crazy to think about it. here is Uriah and he's handing this letter, basically a letter of death for him. To the commander Joab, and it says this put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. And to kind of sum things up pretty quickly, Joab carries out David's orders. Uriah dies. And David thinks that he has everything handled. 
He's got it all covered up. He, he takes Bathsheba as his wife, and he thinks that his sin has been covered. But when it comes to covering up sin, can I be real with you this morning? When it comes to our sin, we only have two choices. We can temporarily cover up our sin with more sin, or we can let God wash away our sin in Christ Jesus. Amen. Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4, says it this way. Psalm 133 and 4. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. And in this moment of his life, David made a poor choice and went with option one. The continue with more sin route. Because he thought that if he went this route, everything was going to be okay. Everything would just go away. However, at the end of chapter 11, we read this. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. David thought that he had covered things up so that nobody knew. But guess what? God knew. And you might think that you are in the clear when you try and cover up your sin. But God knows. And so God sends the prophet Nathan to convict David in chapter 12. And so there's this being caught in his sin. There's, he's being convicted in, ver- in chapter 12. And as you read through chapter 12, Nathan is a prophet. He's a, a wise man. And he knows that he's going to have to confront David on this. And so he goes about it this way, which was pretty wise. He tells David a story of two men, one a rich man and one poor. And the rich man, he had a lot of sheep, he had a lot of cattle, very wealthy. And the poor man, on the flip side of that, was very poor. He only had one ewe lamb that was treated like a relative. It says there in Scripture that it was like a daughter to him. And so as the story goes, as Nathan shares with David, he says, a a traveler comes. And instead of taking from his sheep and his cattle, the rich man decides that he's going to take the one ewe lamb from the poor man. The only one that he has, the one that is like a daughter to him, and he's going to use that one ewe lamb to provide for the traveler. And as as David is listening to, to this story, he's getting worked up. He's, he's getting frustrated. He's getting mad. His blood starts to begin to boil. And he's, David says to Nathan, well, this man should die. And Nathan in that moment says, you are that man. And in that moment, I'm sure Nathan was a little nervous to call the king out like this. And what David did next was that he repented. He, he could have taken Nathan's life in that moment, got rid of him, continued to try to cover up his sin. But in that moment, David was broken and repentant before the Lord. And what I want us to see in this moment is that even though David had a list of sins in his life, 
that most of us don't have, he's still a man after God's own heart. He's still a man after God's own heart because he understood that the only way any of us are saved from our sins is by the grace of God. David's heart is broken before the Lord and he he cries out to the Lord in a song that he writes in Psalm 51. If you are able and willing, will you stand with me this morning as we turn over to Psalm chapter 51? And we're going to read the whole chapter of Psalm 51. At the top of it, it says, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And so David writes this song. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar you may be seated david is caught and he's convicted of his sin and as we begin to read in these very first verses of psalm 51 we read have mercy on me O god according to your unfailing love according to your great compassion blot out my transgressions wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin Does it sound like David is trying to blame his sin on someone else? Not at all. David knew what he deserved and why. And he was begging for mercy. He knew his sin had severed his relationship with God. And he was asking for another chance. He was asking for another chance. And and I wonder, how do you respond when you are caught and convicted in sin? 
There's a difference, you know, be, be, between being sorry you got caught and being sorry that you sinned. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, talks about two different kinds of sorrow. Paul writes by saying, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly sorrow means that you're sorry that you got caught, but you aren't really going to change anything. But a godly sorrow causes a repentance that leads to salvation. It says, God, I don't want to continue down this path. I want to turn around and run to you. And that repentance brings about salvation. And I wonder, what, which kind of sorrow do you have when you sin? Verse 3 and 4, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you have proved right when you speak. So you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge And as you read those two verses, verse 3 and 4, what David is admitting here is that he has sin. There's sin in his life that he has committed, and that sin is against those around him. But ultimately, that sin that he has committed is against God, the one who is the final judge. And the, the truth is, the sad truth is, is our sin impacts the people around us. But on Judgment Day, it is God who will only be the only one who has the final say. And so David knows that his only hope is to get right with God. And maybe for some of you this morning, you need to do that. You need to get right with God. If you spend all your time blaming someone else for your sin and trying to justify what you did, then you will never be where God needs you to be in order for you to receive his forgiveness. Verse 5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And, And that's maybe a confusing verse this morning. But, but I, as I read that in the context of what David is speaking about, and as I studied that through, the idea from my understanding is this idea of speaking about the sinful nature that we have as humans. That a lot of times we default to wanting things done our way, to do things the way that we think instead of the way that God wants it. And we are selfish And you think about a toddler from a very young age. It's all about them and what they want. Me, me, me. And we are selfish as adults. And Scripture says that we all have sinned. And so David is once again acknowledging his sin. It goes way back. There's this human nature of wanting to do his own thing. And so he's convicted and he's repentant here in these verses in the same, at the same time. And so he's caught, he's convicted, but he wants to be clean. David 
As you look at the rest of chapter 51 of Psalm, he wants to be clean. Verses 6 and 7, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. And even though we as humans sin, we make mistakes, that's not where God wants us to stay. He wants us to be transformed from within. And and you read that there in verse 6. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. The change, the transformation is going to come from within through the power that can only come through the Holy Spirit in your life. And when we humble ourselves before the Lord, we can be cleansed, washed, and made whiter than snow we can be made clean read verse 8 let me hear joy and gladness let the bones you have crushed rejoice and i think for many of us we we think that if we can just keep our secret in the dark our sin hidden that that's what's going to be best and we carry around the burden and the weight of sin in our lives And here in David's life, he's hit rock bottom. He he describes it as as being broken. Let the bones you have crushed. The bones you have crushed rejoice. David recognized that as he hit rock bottom, as his sin was found out, He no longer has to let that weigh him down. He can rejoice as he repents before the Lord that God is greater than our sin, that that our sin doesn't have to limit us in this life because God is so much greater. And in verse 9 down through 12, he continues to say, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And when we are repentant, God hides his face from our sins. He says he remembers them no more as far as the east is from the west. He blots out how many of our sins? All, it says here in these verses, all of them. And it's God that creates a pure heart in us. I don't know how many of you have tried to create a pure heart in yourself on your own, but it doesn't work, does it? It doesn't go very far. It's only that, it's only God. And his power that can create a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within us. And so David pleads with the Lord and says, God, I know I've turned my back on you. I've sinned. I've fallen short. But God, please don't turn your back on me. I want to be right with you again. And so restore to me the joy, God, of your salvation. And I think for some of us, uh, our salvation has maybe at times become a little too commonplace. It's just, yeah, I understand. Yeah, I'm saved and going to heaven. But do we really have joy in our salvation? Like Brady did, came out of the water. Woo! Yeah! 
I don't know how many of us have been that excited about our salvation in a while, but that's what we're supposed to have. We're supposed to have this joy in the salvation that only can come from God. And, and so this morning, we need to be praying these prayers that we would have a willing spirit that wants to remain on fire for God so that each one of us can do ver- do what verse 13 says. It says, Then I will teach transgressors, transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. We should be so overwhelmed by God's grace and mercy and forgiveness that we can't help but tell someone else about what, about what God has done in our lives. And, and as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about maybe... You know, just as an illustration, if at some point in your life you came this close to drowning, to death, and you were saved by someone jumping in and and watching over and taking care of you and saving your life, if that happened 5, 10, 15, 20, 40 years ago, would there ever be a time in your life that you would say, ah, well, I've told that story before. Nah, that's that's old news. I'm not going to ever tell that story again. No! That would be a story that would define where you are at in your life. It would be a story that would come up over and over again, and you would be wanting to tell as many people that would be willing to listen about how you were saved, that you were snatched from the jaws of death. And guess what? There are people that are drowning in their sins, and they need to hear from you about a God that saved you from your sins in order that they might also be saved from theirs. And so as the praise team comes, let me just read these last verses again and really listen to what David says here. Verse 14, Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And as you look at these last set of verses this morning, I know that there are many of you here this morning that are continually praising the name of the Lord in your life because of what God has done for you. And I just want to say, keep it up. What an opportunity for you to impact those around you for Jesus, for the kingdom of God, just by praising his name because of the forgiveness that you have received. And that's what he says, The God who saves me, my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Keep it up. Continually bring God into your conversations with Christians, non-Christians, Believers, non-believers, help people know why you have so much joy in your life. But I think also, 
as you read these other verses, I would guess that there might be some here this morning that think that if you can just make enough of a sacrifice of good deeds in your life that those would somehow outweigh the bad ones. And I just want to tell you this morning, that's not how it works. That's not what God wants. God wants your heart. It's not just about a, a random sacrifice, but it's about your heart. The sacrifice that God wants you to bring, according to these verses, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. And, and I'm not, i got to look stuff up, so contrite, what does that mean again? And It means repentant or remorseful. It's when we lay all of our failures and brokenness before the Lord. That's when God can begin to build us up again. Did you notice that in these verses? It's when we have a broken and contrite heart that God doesn't despise. That when that happens, things can begin to be built up again. It begins with you giving your life to Jesus. And so if you need to give your life over to God by dying to your old self in order to be raised a new creation, we'd invite you to come as we sing. Will you stand with us this morning?